Hello, and welcome back to This Be The Verse, your weekly poetry show here on 103.2 Dublin City FM. This week's show is a little bit different, as I have an interview with American academic and poet Katie Condon on her collection of poetry, Praying Naked. So I'm not going to waste any time, let's jump straight into it. Here is the interview in full. So I am here with Professor Katie Condon, a professor of poetry in the United States, and she has graciously agreed to come on and discuss her latest collection of poetry, Praying Naked, which is just amazing. Thank Um, you. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, thank you for being here. Thank you for being here. Can we start with the amazing cover that you have on your collection? Absolutely. Um, Because I just think it's so impressive. There will be a link to the cover in the promotion for today. So if anybody's listening and wants to see what it looks like, you can check out the website. Um, It's amazing. How did you go about choosing this cover and this style of art? Well, I uh, did the kind of research anyone does these days, and I went on Instagram. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I'm, I mean, I'm, I'm being sort of funny, but it is, um, I, I was interested in having some sort of figurative art on the cover, some sort of female form. Um, and I had done a little bit of research on my own, but I just wasn't finding something that had the kind of irreverence that I, I wanted it okay. to have kind of pizzazz or panache. And so I did a turn to Instagram and I just asked my followers if they knew any, artists who worked uh in those directions and someone recommended Dori Kaimi to me um and I just fell in love with her art and 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 with this uh painting in particular which is called Until Proven Innocent um <laughs> okay. and it's a take on Eve um it, she's holding a snake and has this kind of defensive look in her eye yeah. um like are you really coming after me <laughs> um and it, you know it's pink and yellow and bright but also there's this sort of tone of discomfort. And and those kinds of contrasts are interesting to me um, in poems too. So I just, I felt like it was a perfect uh, painting for the cover. And I was really thrilled when Doriel uh, gave me permission to use it. Amazing. Yeah. Um, You use the word irreverence. And I think that's kind of the perfect way to sum up what this collection is for me at any rate. It's, it's got this great irreverent tone. And like you said, it, it balances on that line of discomfort. It has this really great tension that runs the the whole way through despite you being very very candid how did you get into writing poetry or where did you find poetry well I grew up in the Catholic Church and I always was very drawn to the Psalms and to hymns and I'd sometimes sit in the pew and read the hymnal as the mass was going on so I've always sort of been drawn to a musical language or musical verse and um it is also true that my mom kept uh giving my sister and I journals when we were young so I've been writing and thinking about sort of like musical language or lyricism for a long time but I started seriously writing poetry um in college I took a creative writing class um that and I think this is so true of many poets you know I took a great creative writing class in college and it it all took off from there but the the moment where I remember thinking this is what I want to do is um reading three poets Frank O'Hara a wonderful New York school poet um Bernadette Mayer who uh, also is is from New York and then a, a contemporary poet named Dorothea Lasky and what all those folks had in common is a kind of irreverence, I think, but also a kind of joy um, that I had not come to 
recognized in poetry until then. Um, they were sort of buoyant, sometimes even funny. Yeah. Um, and I, I just fell in love. I thought if, if poems can do that, if they can be sort of um, defiant and joyful and sort of um, reverent too, or, or sorrowful in the way that I think many people think poems always are, <laughs> you know, that kind of nuance or complexity is something I'm interested in. Like, let's do this. So that's when I got really excited. Yeah. I mean, now that you've said Frank O'Hara, that, that kind of clicks for me instantly. You have that real, how am I going to put it? You have that real lust for life in your work, that that kind of basking in the more sensual end of things. And and yeah, it's that tongue in cheek way of being like, this is great, but also uh, uh, could be better. So I, I think we've deprived people of, of hearing your poetry long enough. So would you mind um, reading the first poem that you've selected for today? Absolutely. Um, so this poem uh, is the second poem in Praying Naked. And um, the title is also the first sentence of the poem. It's called, On the seventh day, God says, What you've got is virgin charm and a knife in your pocket. And I'm like, thanks? The heart finds its anchor in the sky. The woman is told she is a tabernacle. On the 43rd day, I confuse my hangover for grief. God says, your longing will be for me, and I will dominate you. And I'm like, nope. The morning wears a cotton dress. Is this all I will amount to? The hot breath of months in my pocket? Every telephone pole I mistook for a tree? The melancholy suspicion of library security? Nah. The bartender hums the tune of a hummingbird rising from its flower. I say, I inherited Sappho's pussy, and I believe me. God says, thou shalt not kill, and I'm like, but what about with my eyes? I never asked for the capacity to love ugly things, but here I am. Carnation, daisy, lavender lately, the lavender of late. I boil my stock exclusively with wishbones. I say, I like my men smooth and far away, reticent as a bookshelf. And God butts in, I can do that for you. His eyes search me like a pendulum. I've scraped a dead man's ashes out from under my fingernails like lice eggs. A woman raised in contest with other women is a child of God. God says, this is getting serious. And I'm like, you bet. I remember my ignorance and miss it. The skies open silently with a woman's legs. Morning glory, morning glory, morning, hallelujah. Thank you so much. Can you walk us through a little bit about, you know, what went into the thought process behind that particular poem? Um, Absolutely. Um, I, this was one of the, this is one of the youngest poems in the book. I wrote it closest to publication. I was feeling a little dramatic, like I was in a writing rut. I was like, will I ever write a poem again? Um, and so, uh, I took out all of my notebooks dating back from that first creative writing class that I was talking about okay. earlier. And um, I went through and I, I just pulled lines that I thought were interesting um, that never made it into 
uh, other poems. And I, I just started collaging, um, seeing what would happen, you know, putting different attitudes up against each other, all that stuff. And, and it was fun. And um, it reminded me why I love poetry, which is the surprise discovery, you know, the flexibility of language. But um, I, I have to admit that my preference in, in, in poems is toward a kind of narrative or a sort of linearity is something that I like. And the collage was fun and interesting, but it wasn't um, maybe lyric or telling a story in the way that I hoped it would. So all of the dialogue, God says this, I say that, those are things that I added to give it a little bit of structure, a little bit of narrative structure. Um, and it was a really fun exercise. I don't often work out of prompts, but this is is a poem that stemmed from, from an exercise. Okay, it, it worked out really well. Um, you seem to really, like you talk about your you, the joy you take in kind of lyrical language and the flexibility of language, but you also have like a real dedication to different technical aspects of poetry because going through your collection, there's, there's a lot of different poems in a lot of different forms and some of them are, are really, really rigorous. So do you take a lot of joy in sticking to a structure on occasion or is it, you know, which poem gets which structure and whatever suits best at the time? That's a great question. I tend to gravitate towards received forms like sonnets or, or odes or something when, again, when I'm feeling a little lost in, in the process. Okay. I find that the, the, the structure, um, knowing a little bit of what the road looks like ahead can sometimes be helpful when I'm feeling a little bit stuck. And thank you, by the way, for, for saying um, such nice things about the book and particularly the form, um, because sometimes the form can feel a little wild, I think, on a first read. But I am, of course, always thinking about how to organize um, the language in a way that emphasizes the things that I want to be emphasized, de-emphasizes um, things that I want to be de-emphasized. So, um, so yeah, I'm always thinking about form. I work in received forms less often, but certainly they're incredibly valuable. That's why they've with, they stood the test of time. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I think your collection is, it, it strikes me as, as deeply personal. And so when you're, when you're reading it, it can, it can feel a bit like being pulled by a current one way or the other, because there's, there's a lot that goes into your work and the, the form is occasionally nice. Cause you're like, okay, I can, I can tackle this one. I can, I can get through this. One. I know, I know how this works. And then other times you just, you use your language so well, and it kind of hits you like a, a punch. I, I really feel you have this all encompassing approach to sex and, and sexuality that I don't get to see a lot in poetry. There's occasional reverence for it and then other times you you get all these minute emotions that i haven't seen a lot of poetry written about that come with like before after during it's sorry again fanboying ever so slightly on you but um oh, yeah you. i really appreciate that um i just think it's great um so what prompted you to publish a collection then well my ego uh okay. I, i'm just teasing no of course i mean i'd be lying if i said that wasn't part of it but frankly um i came about it sort of naturally i suppose um i i didn't you know sit down 
pre-book and say, this is my plan. I want to write a book about desire and sex and um, being a young woman negotiating sort of like desire and, and spirituality. I didn't, I didn't, I don't write like that. Many people do. Um, but it, instead I just, I was getting my master's degree in poetry at the university of Houston, writing a lot. Um, and at the end, you know, you have to write a thesis and you have to, the, the project is ordering the poems into a draft of a book. Mm-hmm. And so I sort of had a product, um, uh, at the end of that, and it took many, many more years before it got published, but it was at that time in my life when I started thinking, hmm, this might be able to be something someday. Um, and of course, you know, as, as a poet who loves other people's poetry so much and other collections that I cherish, uh, it felt exciting that potentially this book would fall into the hands of people who um, might not be writing poetry now, but might it might inspire them to later. That's exciting to me, that potential. So. Yeah, it's it's a real foot in the door of kind of legacy and poetry and continuity. It's great. Would you mind reading the second poem that you've chosen sure. for today? Sure. Uh, so this poem is called Getting Through Monday. And I wrote it um, many, many years ago now, maybe four or five. Um, but uh, I was talking with my husband about what to read on the show. And and he was saying, you know, getting through Monday hits a little different now that we're all in a global pandemic. <laughs> Um, And so I thought I'd read it for that reason. Okay, getting through Monday. It's difficult lately to see the point in even the world's most beautiful efforts. For instance, the fog that covered the creek this morning like a veil, the wind moved aside every so often so the light could soften the water's rough face. Or the little blonde girl who sang my darling Clementine to the monarch butterfly she cradled dead in her hands. Today, even the prospect of making love is unfulfilling. The sun is out and I have no reason to be dismal. I don't want to die. I have so far understood my life as something I can control. Realize now it is not And for recognizing this, many say I should be grateful. I'm working on it. In the meantime, life slogs through me like a slug through the garden. And other people die for no good reason while I watch construction workers move across the roof they're building and consider how this scene could stand for time. How each shingle is a year in our lives and each nail something beautiful passing through it anchoring us to the scaffolding, which is memory, and reminding us that we have no choice but to be here until the rain soaks us weary and we fall, leaving only dust, which is the soul, and heaps of concrete. Yeah, it it does hit different. I I remember when you sent it on to me, I had to double check with the collection. I was like, was this written this year? Or is this has this always been in the collection? And it was there. So it's incredibly timely it's funny how poems sort of adapt themselves in that way you know um i i mean yeah poem again poems are so flexible they sort of are what you need them to be something i love about them that one is a true testament to that thought it just fits um in this particular case how have you found your creativity and poetry during this very interesting time of existence (laughs) Well, I've been reading uh, a lot and I also, I also had my first child this year. Um, So it's been a big year of change, 
that has made writing feel not more difficult to access, but when I do have time to do it and I carve out time as much of, as possible, it feels almost, it feels valuable. I'm, it feels like I haven't eaten in days and I want <laughs> to do it. It's very satisfying. Um, and, and in that way, it, it, I feel about a lot of things in that way lately, you know, seeing family, um, friends, socializing, even connecting with my students. I feel this kind of like desire to do those things in a way that um, I didn't necessarily before this year. So um, all of that's to say that, that, you know, writing poems, trying to access that creative side in this time just feels like a lot of other things feel too. Um, but it's been, uh, as it always has been for me, um, a, a very safe space in this very tumultuous year. Do you have poets that you go back to a lot? I'm always curious about that. I do. Um, I, I do always feel like poetry is a place I can go. At times it's a more, it might feel maybe unwelcoming sometimes, you know, when I'm in a rut or whatever, but and that that's just in terms of writing it, right? But I always feel like I can go back and read it, and there's always something for me to uh, take comfort in. And the poets who I go back to most often are the three that I mentioned before: Frank O'Hara and Bernadette Mayer and Dorothy mm -hmm. Lasky. But um, recently, I've been reading a lot of Henri Cole, um, and he's uh, fantastic. If 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 you all haven't read him, he's a master of the sonnet, a sort of contemporary iteration of it, um, a beautiful writer. Um, and I also really enjoy reading Robert Bly too. Um, but anyway, those are folks who I go back to a lot. Um, Henri Cole is a lot quieter than, than maybe Frank O'Hara, a lot maybe more confessional and revealing than Frank O'Hara is, I think. Though Frank O'Hara certainly is a poet of desire in his own right. Mm -hmm. He definitely is. I suppose you're in a unique position as a professor of creative writing and, and poetry. What what value do you think poetry can bring in, you know, the 21st century um, in general? This is a big question. It, it is. I'm sorry. It's a very no. big question just to, <laughs> to drop out. It's, no, it's great. I, it's a big question. And I think it's a really important question. I think, I mean, there's a million and eight ways that poetry can be valuable to us. But one way that I've been thinking about it recently is, um, especially when I'm thinking about my students, um, is in our increasingly digital world, in our world that's driven by social media, um, it seems that what is valued in those spaces are thoughts, feelings, opinions that are um, brief and um, uh, carry some kind of swagger, but but more than anything, are sort of small and digestible, sort of pill-sized. And um, they often, because of the medium and the audience, which is wide, there's not a lot of room for nuance and complexity. Mm -hmm. uh, and in fact, it, it sort of eliminates any opportunity to converse about any possible nuance or complexity in the things that we're putting out into the world. And so I think that poems are things that we can read or write, you know, in, in either case, I think this is true, where we can sit in our own discomfort or sit with our very complex emotions and 
feel welcome there. I mean, I think it's very unlikely that anyone only feels one thing at the same time. You know, <laughs> your friend might get a promotion and you might be really happy for them, but you might also be really jealous, you know, mm-hmm. um, or you might be falling in love with someone who you know isn't good for you. So there's a kind of like fear and joy. And, and poems allow for that kind of multiplicity of emotion in a way that the internet, texting, Twitter, um, which are good for other things. I don't think that they necessarily um, foster that kind of nuanced space. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think poems can just remind us that we're human, frankly, yeah. and and help us value sort of that condition of, of being human. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, the, the multiplicity of emotion is a, a nice way of putting it. I like that. You seem to have that in almost every poem um, that I've I've read in the collection. You have just layers on layers of different emotions that kind of whip backward and forwards. Like I said, it's amazing. Would you mind reading the final poem that you've uh, chosen for us today? Absolutely. Um, this is called Practicing Digressions, and it's dedicated to my husband, Richard. Practicing Digressions. I am eager to grow old. What a joy it will be to bear love down on whatever daughters I force into this sometimes lovely world, preaching similar things, I bet, that my mother preached to me, like, you are a woman, praise yourself. What a light her scriptures are on this morning that is gray and cool as the last lake on the mountain before it gives itself up to the sky. I meant to be telling you about age, not my mother who is aging, not mountains or mornings or the unforgivably expansive sky. I admit, it will be difficult not to mention the robin on the wire, the light lifting itself up over my husband's slender body, which he lives in more confidently than I have witnessed of myself. I am practicing digressions on you, so that I can prepare for the ways my memory will loosen itself from around itself, uncoiling like the threads in the ice skating penguin sweater I'll love when I'm 80, and never want to take off, even as summer's weight bears down like my mother bore down on me. My mother, whose voice is familiar in this poem, though years will have bounded by since I heard her sing. Where was I? Mountains, steep as memory, water, morning, light, my husband's body stirring, his hands trembling after thousands of mornings exploring every new wrinkle on my breast. Have I spoken of birds? How they stay on longer into the cold than they should and for what? To learn how to forage for food that is not there, to harvest something finally of absence, that they will keep with them when they decide to flit off into the thick mist of late fall that, when I was young, I wanted to walk through, believing I would make myself a ghost. Can you can you walk us through that one just a, a little bit, please? Definitely. Um, also one of the, I'm realizing I'm, I'm reading very young poems in the book. Uh, <laughs> it's also one of the ones that I wrote um, close not close to publication, but catch my drift. Um, yeah, and, uh, sure. um, and I just, I just gave myself the task of digressing as much as possible in a poem. And how, how could I digress and digress without totally eliminating any sense of 
structure or of the, the situation, you know, I was, I guess a, a short, concise way to put it would be, I was experimenting with how far I could digress without making anyone feel sort of ungrounded mm-hmm. in, in the narrative or the thought. Um, and specifically like thinking about age and how it's easier to digress in conversations as one gets older, it seems sort of natural. So, yeah, um, it has a great pendulum feel to it where it kind of moves from one to the next and then back again. Reflection seems to be a huge part of your poetry. Do the ideas for your poems lodge themselves a little bit in your brain as like a single thought and then you work on them later? Or do you gather all that together? after the experience, like posts, all that happening, and then you kind of pick what would make a poem or that kind of thing? That's a good question. I think of, I think it was Wordsworth who was saying, you might be able to remember the quote better than me, <laughs> that that poem is like a, something recollected in tranquility, like big feelings recollected mm-hmm. in tranquility. And so I guess I, I thought of that because um, I don't, if something big happens in my life, I'm, I do not then go straight to the page and write about it. It seems like some time has to pass. And when I do sit down with the page, I don't often have a sense of where I'm going to go when I sit down. The French poet Max Jacob said that poetry hates ideas. <laughs> um, and that feels very true to my process. I find that when I do sit down with the page and say, I'm going to write about this specific thing or experience, that the poem feels sort of like, I don't know, pedantic might be too strong of a word, but um, certainly less interesting than when I just discover what the poem wants me to discover. I really believe that poems are smarter than us. Um, and and so I want the language to sort of take me where it, where it needs to go. So all of that's sort of a long way of saying these poems certainly stem from my personal experience. Uh, I, I do sort of count myself or count some of my models as confessional poets like Anne Sexton and Sylvia Plath. The experience sort of fictionalized itself as I'm writing because I don't want to fence myself in. Again, I want the poem to sort of help me discover something about what I'm feeling. I think without poems, I'd never really know what I think or feel. <laughs> Fair enough. It's a way of written thinking then, I guess, for you. Um, I'm going to put you on the spot ever so slightly and ask you if if you wanted your readers or potential readers to read like a single poem from your collection, what, what do you think it would be at the moment? It doesn't have to be forever, but right now, do you think there's a poem that you would really like people to to read? Or uh, So I think if there was one poem that I'd suggest folks read, I think it would be the last poem in the book, actually. Okay. Um, it's called Resurrection. Um, and I think that this poem does a good job of, or I hope it does, um, of sort of summarizing, for lack of a better word, all of the themes that Praying Naked sort of presents. Um, Spirituality, uh, femininity, especially as it relates to motherhood and daughterhood, um, sexuality, uh, a little less so here, but, but it's there a little bit. And I think that if, there's a poem that will make you want to read the whole book. Hopefully it's that one. Because um, there are uh, lots of different thematic themes. There's different themes at play, but certainly there's also many different sort of narrative threads too. And um, that poem presents them all. 
So, so that's the one. Yeah, that's Resurrection one. from Praying Naked. Okay. Katie, thank you so much for coming on the show today. I really, really appreciate it. Um, and it was a pleasure to talk to you. Um, you can find Katie Condon's amazing collection, Praying Naked, on Amazon at the minute in Kindle form if you're here in Ireland. Um, and I think you can order directly from your website, Katie. If yeah, you can. So at katiecondonpoetry.com, um, you can order the book. I'll sign it for you and I'll mail it to you. Uh, there you go. You couldn't you couldn't do much better than that. So thank you so much again, Katie. I really appreciate you taking the time. Thank you so much for having me. It was a huge pleasure. <laughs> <laughs>